Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith using the Belgic Confession of Faith as our guide. So far we've learned that God reveals himself in his infallible and inspired word, the Bible. And last time we learned that the Bible is a closed book. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. And we also learned why the church accepts the 66 books of the Bible and no others as part of the canon of Scripture. Well, this week we want to once again consider the doctrine of Scripture, specifically the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture as it is outlined for us in Article 7 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. But before we do that, let's first read from the Holy Scriptures. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, the verses 19 through 31. Hear God's word. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And he, being in torments in Hades, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment." Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of it to our hearts. Dear friends, the Christian church in North America today, and perhaps on other continents as well, is experiencing a crisis of certainty. The renowned evangelical Anglican theologian J.I. Packer writes this. He says, Certainty about the great issues of the Christian faith and conduct is lacking all along the line. The outside observer sees us as staggering on from a gimmick to gimmick and stunt to stunt like so many drunks in a fog, not knowing at all where we are or which way we should be going. Preaching is hazy, heads are muddled, hearts fret, 
Doubts drain strength. Uncertainty paralyzes action. Unlike the first century Christians who in three centuries won the Roman world, and those later Christians who pioneered the Reformation and the Puritan Awakening, and the evangelical revival and the great missionary movement of the last century, we lack certainty. End quote. Now the evidence for all this is around us. There is a lack of certainty about whether God created the world and everything in it in six days. There's a lack of certainty about whether marriage is to be restricted to one man and one woman. There is a lack of certainty about whether life begins at conception and ends at the point of natural death. There is a lack of certainty about whether homosexuality is a sin, to name only just a few issues. There is sweeping over the church today a tidal wave of uncertainty. Now, how did that happen? How did the church come to be so uncertain, even on some of the most basic matters? Well, the root cause for this uncertainty is faulty views of Scripture, specifically the sufficiency of Scripture. Many Christians today no longer believe that the Scriptures are sufficient. The Scriptures, we are told, are bound to the culture in which they were written. And as such, they do not and cannot speak authoritatively on the complex issues of today. We are told that we need more than the Scriptures today. We need the insights of so-called experts in sociology and geology and psychology and anthropology and other fields of academic inquiry. Only then can we speak credibly and authoritatively to the complex issues facing us today. Well, how do we respond to that? Are the Scriptures sufficient or are they not? Well, the answer of the Word of God and our confession is yes, they are. As I mentioned already, we come in our study of the Belgic Confession of Faith to Article 7. And like the previous five articles, this article deals with the doctrine of Scripture. In Article 2, we learn that God reveals himself to us in two ways. First, in the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. And we call that general revelation. But secondly, he reveals, to us, he reveals himself to us more clearly and fully in his holy and divine word, and we call that special revelation. In Article 3, we learned that the word of God was not sent or delivered by the will of man, but, as Peter says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And then in Article 4, we learned which books make up the canon of Scripture. And then in Article 5, we learned why we receive these books and these only as holy and canonical. And it's not so much because the church receives and approves them as such, but because the Holy Spirit witnesses in our hearts that they are from God. And then finally, in Article 6, we learned which are the apocryphal books and how we may and may not use them. Well, now we come to Article 7, and in Article 7 we learn that the Scriptures are sufficient. And it's to that subject that we turn our attention with God's help today. My theme is the sufficiency of Scripture. And we'll consider, first of all, the definition of sufficiency, secondly, the denial of this sufficiency, and then thirdly, the defense of this sufficiency. First, then, the sufficiency of Scripture defined. Article 7 sets forth the biblical doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, what do we mean by this? What do we mean when we say that the Scriptures are sufficient? Well, first of all, let's be clear on what we do not mean. 
When we say that the scriptures are sufficient, we do not mean that the Bible answers all of our questions, because it doesn't. The Bible doesn't tell us how long Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden before the fall. It doesn't tell us when the angels were created and how and why some fell and became demons. It doesn't tell us how the apostles died. It doesn't tell us why God chose some to be saved and not others. It doesn't tell us how God can be 100% sovereign and man 100% responsible at the same time. It leaves many questions unanswered. Nor does the Bible tell us things like how to cure cancer or what is the composition of rocks on Mars or whether it will rain on my birthday. When we say that the scriptures are sufficient, we mean two things. We mean, first of all, that they contain everything we need to know in order to be saved. Now remember, the scriptures do not contain everything there is to know, but only everything we need to know. In Article 7, we confess that the Holy Scriptures fully contain the will of God and that whatsoever man ought to believe unto salvation is sufficiently taught therein. You notice that the emphasis here is on salvation. The primary purpose of the Scriptures is not to lay out for us how we can have a happy marriage or how we can have a successful business or raise godly children or or achieve mental and physical well-being. No, the purpose, the primary purpose of Scripture is to reveal to us how we can be saved. And that word salvation here is comprehensive. It refers not just to what we need to know in order to be saved, but also how we ought to live in light of that salvation. This is what the Scriptures reveal. This is the primary purpose of the Bible. It reveals everything we need to know not only how to be saved, but also how we are to live as a saved person in this present world. But secondly, when we say that the scriptures are sufficient, we mean nothing can be added to or taken away from the word of God. Our confession says as much when it confesses as follows. For since the whole manner of worship which God requires of us is written in them at large, it is unlawful for anyone, though an apostle, to teach otherwise than we are now taught in the Holy Scriptures. Nay, though it were an angel from heaven, as the Apostle Paul says, for since it is forbidden to add unto or take away anything from the word of God, it does thereby evidently appear that the doctrine thereof is most perfect and complete in all respects. So the Belgian Confession here cites two verses of Holy Scripture. The first is Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9. Paul wrote these words to the Galatians, and they were in danger, you remember, of departing from the gospel that he had preached to them. They were being persuaded by the Judaizers that faith in Christ alone was not enough. If they wanted to be saved, they not only had to believe in Christ, they also had to be circumcised and observe all the dietary prohibitions of the law of Moses. And Paul regarded this teaching as a denial of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It was an attempt to base salvation, however, partly on works. And over and against this, the apostle says no. And he says, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. 
So the Apostle Paul here pronounces in the name and on the basis of the authority of God a curse on anyone who teaches a gospel other than the one that he had preached to them. In effect, he was damning them to hell. Why is that? Because his gospel was based on the scriptures, and the scriptures are sufficient. To add or take away anything from that gospel, as the Galatians were in danger of doing, merited and would result in eternal damnation in hell. Secondly, our confession quotes Deuteronomy 12, verse 32. And here God says to the people of Israel, What things soever I command you observe to do it, thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. And that's echoed in Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. There Jesus says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. The point of these verses is the same. Nothing may be added or taken away from the holy scriptures. Those who do this bring on themselves the wrath and judgment of God. Well, my friend, do you believe that today? Sadly, many in the church do not. And that brings us to our second point. The doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture is under attack today, as it was during the days in which the Belgic Confession was written in the 16th century. During that time, the attacks came from two sides. On the one side, the attacks came from the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church taught and still teaches today that while Scripture is important, it is not enough. To Scripture, we must add church tradition. And by tradition, they mean the decisions of church councils and certain doctrines that were passed down throughout the ages. This is why the Roman Catholic Church holds to such unbiblical doctrines as purgatory, the mass, the intercession of saints, papal infallibility, the immaculate conception and assumption of Mary, and the list goes on. None of these doctrines are found in the Scriptures, nor is this necessary in their view since they have been decided by the church, by the church councils, which Roman Catholics believe are led and guided by the Holy Spirit. Well, at bottom, this is nothing less than a denial of the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, on the other side, there were the Anabaptists. The Anabaptists were the forebears of modern-day Baptists, Mennonites, Quakers, and even Pentecostals. The Anabaptists also had a high regard for Scripture, but They also taught that the Holy Spirit continues to reveal his will to people directly or indirectly through the mouth of so-called prophets. And that has led to much error and abuse. For example, during the 16th century, one of the leaders of the Anabaptist movement, a man by the name of Jan Mathais, claimed that he was the prophet Enoch, who had come to prepare the way for the coming of Christ, which he predicted would occur in the year 1533. And in that year, he and his followers took control of the city council of the city of Munster in northern Germany. And they declared that the city was to become the new Jerusalem. Private property was declared illegal and all laws were suspended. And a colleague of his, a man by the name of John of Leiden, introduced polygamy and assumed the title of king. 
Now, while these are extreme examples, this is what happens when you reject the sufficiency of Scripture and claim to be led directly by the Holy Spirit. It leads to much error and abuse. Now, sadly, the doctrine of, of the sufficiency of Scripture is still under attack in the church today. It's under attack, first of all, by various cults and sects which teach that the Bible is necessary but not enough. For example, Mormons who say that we need the Bible plus the Book of Mormon. Or Jehovah's Witnesses who say that we need the Bible plus the Watchtower magazine. Or the Moonies who say we need the Bible plus the writings of Reverend Moon. Or the Seventh-day Adventists who say we need the Bible plus the writings of Ellen White. None of these teach that we need the Bible alone. Secondly, the sufficiency of Scripture is under attack by the charismatic movement with its emphasis on miracles and signs and wonders and exercising demons and claiming authority over demons and disease and negative circumstances, positive visualization techniques where you visualize something as reality and it will be yours. This too is a denial, an undermining of the sufficiency of Scripture. Thirdly, the sufficiency of Scripture is under attack by the new hermeneutic. This is the belief that Scripture is too outmoded, too simplistic, too culture-bound to speak to the complex issues facing us today. And we see the evidence of that in so many areas. We see it in the area of human sexuality. It used to be that we could, in the church, accept what the Bible said about sexuality, about sexuality, including about sexual deviancy, such as homosexuality. But now we're told that the Bible is too simplistic in its condemnation of homosexuality, as well as other deviant sexual behaviors. The so-called experts tell us that people don't choose to become homosexuals. They're born that way. Therefore, we need to just accept that and even celebrate that. But my friends, if that was the case, why does the Bible say that practicing homosexuals cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven? How could God condemn people to hell who are what they are through no fault of their own? That would be an injustice in God. And there is no injustice in God. Now, I realize that not all homosexuals choose to become homosexuals. Some are indeed born with a preference for the same sex. That cannot be denied. But that doesn't mean it's not a sin. It is. And like any sin, the sin of homosexuality needs to be repented of and put to death. And Christ can give us the power to do that if we trust in him. We also see this tendency to downplay and even dismiss Scripture in the area of science. For example, today we're told that a belief in a literal six-day creation is no longer tenable. It took much longer than that. Hundreds of millions of years, we're told. God may have created the ingredients for life, but then he just let everything evolve on its own, which is just as ridiculous as saying that if you put the right ingredients for a cake into a bowl, that over a period of time you'll get a cake. At the bottom of all this, it amounts to a denial of the sufficiency of Holy Scripture. In effect, we're saying that the Bible's not enough. We need something more. We need the Bible plus. We need the Bible plus science, plus human insight, plus psychology, plus whatever. And over and against all of that, we say absolutely not. The Bible alone is sufficient. Now, that's not to say that we can't benefit from science and psychology and other human insights. We most certainly can. But when it comes to our salvation and how we ought to live our lives in this world, all we really need is the Bible. Now someone says, well, what about 
the writings of great and faithful theologians from the past, men like the Church Fathers or the Reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin and preachers like Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon and Martin Lloyd-Jones. And what about the great confessions of the church, like the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession, which we're studying, the Canons of Dort, the Westminster Standards? Are, are these not also just as important as Scripture? Well, the answer of our confession is absolutely no. And I quote again from Article 7. It says there, Neither do we consider of equal value any writing of men, however holy these men may have been, with those divine Scriptures. Nor ought we to consider custom or the great multitude or antiquity or succession of times and persons or councils, decrees or statutes as of equal value with the truth of God, for the truth is above all. So no human writing can be placed on the same level as Holy Scripture. And why not? Because even if they are according to Scripture, all of these writings and decisions were made by sinful, fallible men who according to Article 7 of our Confession are liars by nature and more vain than vanity itself, whereas Scripture, as we've seen, is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is therefore absolutely infallible. So rather than simply accept these teachings, our Confession says we are, quote, to reject with all our hearts whatsoever does not agree with this infallible rule which the apostles have taught us, End quote. Instead, we are to try the spirits, whether they are of God. And if there come any and bring not this doctrine, we are not to receive him into our house. And so the scriptures are entirely sufficient. They contain all that we need to know for faith and practice. And this is exactly what Article 7 of the Belgian Confession is teaching us. Now, what is the biblical basis for saying that the Bible is sufficient? That brings us to our third and final point. The sufficiency of Holy Scripture is taught in so many places in the Scriptures, but especially in the passage that we read together in Luke 16, the verses 19 to 31. And in these verses, we have the well-known parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And especially instructive for our purposes is the exchange that took place between the rich man in hell and Abraham in heaven. And there we read that while the rich man was in torment in the flames of hell, he looked up to heaven and he saw Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom and he begged Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his five brothers what awaited them if they did not repent. And Abraham's answer is most instructive, and it comes in verse 29. He said to the rich man, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And when the rich man heard this, he pleaded with Abraham and said in verse 30, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. The point that Abraham was making was this. The scriptures are sufficient for our salvation. If a man will not come to salvation through the scriptures, he will not come at all, even if one came to them and testified to them from the dead. 
And so the scriptures are abundantly clear. They are entirely sufficient. They contain all that we need to know for salvation and for life. Now if that's true, and it is, dear friends, let us not look to anyone or anything else for direction and guidance whether it be in our personal life or our marriage life, our family life, our church life, or our work life. Let's not look to ministers or theologians or counselors. Let's not look to so-called experts. Let's not look to ancient and respected writings, at least not in the first place. Let us look, first of all, to the Scriptures. Whatever questions we are facing, Whatever issues we're struggling with, whatever doubts and fears we may have, the answers are to be found in the Scriptures. Now, it may take some time to find those answers. They won't just jump out at you. In some cases, we may never find a complete answer. We may only discover a few principles, but we will find an answer. We will find direction, for the Scriptures are sufficient. Well, let me ask you, are they sufficient for you today? What is your attitude towards the Scriptures? Do you treasure the Scriptures? Are you living by the Scriptures? Are you seeking to be guided by the Scriptures? Oh, remember, what we think of the Scriptures is a reflection of what we think of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's because the Scriptures are His Word. They are the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in, first, and in John's gospel, the first chapter, John describes the Lord Jesus Christ as the Word of God because He is the complete revelation of God. And so if we embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, we must also embrace His truth, His Word, and we must, by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, practice that truth in our everyday lives. Oh, my friend, is that true for you today? May God grant that the Scriptures may be for us what they have been for all of God's people throughout the ages, our ultimate source of comfort, direction, and guidance for this life and for the life to come. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at Banner of Truth, that's all one word, Banner of Truth at FRCNA.org. Banner of Truth at FRCNA.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. 
Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. For that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.